and that we love a chat. We love to help and that's a fact. So we have made it our mission to find stuff out. From diagnosis and education, slimming out of your frustration. Chat to folks who've been there too. Collect it together and share it with you. If you know someone we should speak to, send them our way and that's what we'll do. We like to have our sensory networks. You know what? Hi everybody, it's Jenny here with another Sensory Matters show and today I'm really excited because I'm chatting to somebody way over in Canada and it is Michael McCreary who is a comedian and he has Asperger's and I'm dead excited to talk to him about um, his life and how this has all evolved. So hi Michael. Hey Jenny, pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, thank you. And whereabouts in Canada are you right now? Oh, I'm uh, in uh, southern Ontario. I live around the uh, Toronto area. Okay, cool. I went to Toronto a couple of years ago on holiday and, and then over to um, Ottawa, and I loved it. Oh, I hope, you, I hope you had a good time. Ottawa's pretty neat. Yeah, it's, it's a great, great country. I've got a friend over there who came over here when she was about 20 and, and lived here for a bit. And then we went, didn't see her for 20 years and then went to see her. So it was really lovely. Oh, it was wow. a great trip. I, I mean, um, it's, anyway. it's always exciting to meet people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I digress um, because I really want to get into talking about you and the kind of positive story that you've got around your life. Um, now, I believe you were diagnosed when you were five. Is that right? Oh, that's correct. Yeah. I don't suppose you remember much about it. Actually, I, uh, it's one of the few things I do. It was uh, a very tedious process, and uh, oh. I appreciate my folks uh, stick it, sticking it out with me. Uh, do you mind if I go a little bit in depth? Yeah, go for it. All right. Basically, uh, uh, the only reason I got assessed was because uh, my, uh, my little brother, Matthew, uh, around the time he was, uh, I'd say, between two and three years old, uh, he started losing his speech, and uh, by the time he was uh, like three, four, uh, he was nonverbal. So uh, my folks got him assessed. Uh, he got a, uh, he was diagnosed with autism, and uh, my folks started to recognize some uh, consistencies in our behavior, or at the very least, uh, when when they were talking to the uh, uh, to the doctor, uh, they said that we recognized some uh, similarities. So they decided to get me assessed to uh, to see if I was autistic. So. Uh, we go to the first doctor, and uh, I'm the problem this time around. So basically, they say, okay, just wait here in this room, and we'll be with you in a moment. And before the doctor had even shown up, I would somehow found a way to pull off all of the drapes. And so when they came in there, <laughs> they just saw my parents looking traumatized and me, like, smiling like the kid from The Omen, or, or like the exorcist or whatever, just like <laughs> – like curled up in these drapes and they went oh he's a tricky one so we go to see the second doctor and this one is not my fault uh basically what she said to me uh was she wanted to see me on my own kind of removed from my parents and my parents went okay we trust you and what she said to me was uh in the center of the room we have a ton of lego that you can play with if you answer all of the following questions correctly and me not being able to put two and two together, I didn't realize I needed to ace the test. I thought I just needed to give literally any answer. So when she'd ask me, okay. like, uh, 
I don't know, are you sad most of the time? I would just cluck like a chicken. So I do this for about 15 minutes. And we uh, get to the end, and I'm uh, not allowed to play with the Lego. So finally, we get to the uh, third one, and uh, uh, and uh, I get properly diagnosed, and it's been incredibly beneficial. Yeah, I, yeah. So many people say that the earlier that you get it, the the better, really, mm -hmm. um, because then you can get all the support and get things in place. Is that your experience of it? It absolutely has been. I don't take that for granted. My uh, actually. Uh, my girlfriend uh, didn't get assessed until she was about like I'd say 18, 19 years old, and uh, and I know that there and there's people in my life that have been diagnosed well into like their uh, 40s and 50s. So to me, it's uh, I I don't take that for granted. Yeah. So as as a result, you then went through the school system knowing um, that you were different, but accepting that and understanding it, which is a huge advantage. Oh, pretty much. It was uh, the only thing that was kind of frustrating was uh, going into school. Uh, my folks had given me a primer, like they'd done all the social stories, they'd done everything, like to go, okay, uh, this is what we understand of what's going on in your head right now. So we are going to uh, create a script for you to follow, right? One that has you uh, always, like, always using your manners, always being polite, and always telling the truth. And so I get to school, and like I was kind of wondering, is everyone else autistic? Because like I've gone through so much, <laughs> so much like, you yeah. know, legwork ahead of time, learning how to be courteous, et cetera, et cetera. And no one else had to learn. And I sort of felt uh, ostracized in a sense because like, I, I don't know, I, I had to grow up a little bit faster. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you have fond memories of school? I uh, like – the memories sort of range like uh like the, the worst memory was I, I think it was like my second or third recess i spent the entire time holding the door for people but the uh <laughs> as no one took it from me but the uh but like better memories I'm, i i will tell you one uh when i was in grade three and this is embarrassing but i'm also kind of happy about it i had a teacher uh named mrs coco who was the greatest teacher of all time because uh she understood sort of uh that i'd learn better within uh I, I won't say like parameters but she went okay uh you know this kid engages when there's like some sort of pop cultural hook to it or something that he enjoys so if we could just give him like an assignment like a niche assignment that is uh built around like a special interest then uh he might be more inclined to succeed and a lot of other teachers subsequently did not do this but i remember uh yeah like she was very uh she was very forward thinking in that regard so she um gave me uh it wasn't even like an assignment i just i was just writing like a an awful spongebob fan fiction <laughs> like basically it was just something yeah. truly terrible and her response to this was this is the start of someone who wants to create <laughs> and then we ended up turning it into a play for our class to perform and uh, get embarrassed doing so that was that was pretty awesome wow that, that was back tonight cool. yeah that was um, back so for you what Wow, that's cool. And for, for you, what does your Asperger's look like? Because everybody's different. So what does it look and feel like for you? Um, I, I mean, it's difficult for me to assess, you know, because uh, it, it's not like it just suddenly kind of happens, as, as you know, right? It's, uh, it, no. it, it's just something that you, you're aware other people are aware of. <laughs> so you're kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, all of your cues are, uh, you're taking your cues on an individual to individual basis. And I'd say that's how it uh 
that that's uh, that's how I uh, I uh, I address it. But even then, I don't disassociate from it in the way of like, okay, this is my behavior and this is where autism affects me. I just go, nope. Uh, 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 we've always been tethered. Uh, I'm autistic, so it's, yeah. it's always going to be a part of me, and uh, that's not a problem. Yeah, absolutely. So how on earth then, because you have, <clears throat> and if people want to look you up, then it's aspiecomic.com uh, yeah. um, to ha have a look at what you do. But you've done you've done a TED Talk, you've written a book called Funny, um, Funny You Don't Look Autistic. You travel all around Canada and America. You've helped TV shows like Ransom to ensure that they're putting across the autistic person properly um you know reflected well in terms of their character so you've done absolutely loads so how did you go from like schoolboy to comedian uh sure i i was in a god it was between grade seven and grade eight uh my grades were taking a dive uh a nosedive and not for lack of trying like i just uh i i i couldn't get my head out of the clouds i couldn't uh i uh I I was in a very uh, awkward position with my friends because I'd gone from uh, thinking that I was part of this friend group uh, only to realize that actually no one in the group liked me, or at least I was the member of the group that people kind of kept around to sort of uh, to sort of pick on, right? Under the under the veneer of like, hey, we're just like we're we're just messing around, and so I felt that I'd rather have no yeah. friends than these friends, so I cut ties and. Uh, and it was at that point where just like I did, no one else really wanted to be uh, friends with me. So I just uh, I I felt alienated. I felt depressed and I didn't know what I was going to do. So uh, I started looking into some programs that were offered in uh, in town or around my uh, my uh, folks' hometown. And uh, it was my mom who rec recommended this to me. It was called the Stand Up for Mental Health Program, which was this awesome uh, two month uh, primer on how to uh, mine uh, neurological variations or psychological ones for, uh, for comedy. And so uh, I, I, uh, I got involved with this group. They, uh, they brought me out. It was in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, it was run by uh, David Granier, who wasn't uh, based in Ontario, mind you. They were Skyping in from uh, Vancouver uh, on this big, terrifying screen. So like once a, once a week for two months, uh, he'd basically Skype in like Zordon from Power Rangers, and we would just kind of pitch material his way and he'd help us uh, fine tune it and uh, and it wasn't just like oh tell me a joke and i'll tell you if it's funny or not like he taught us everything about how to construct the premise how to work a room uh and it was incredibly beneficial and uh i'm really thankful to him and that and from there that just like grabbed your interest and became a passion that you wanted to do or Oh yeah, no, it's uh, well, I, 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 it was one of those things that was making me happy for the time that I was doing it, but I, I just thought to myself, you know, uh, if this, if this is a flop when I go out there, I'm probably never gonna do this again, cause like I was, I had just turned 14 when I did my first stand-up show, so to me it was like, you're impressionable and and you only like something for as much as people are telling you that you're good at, you know what I mean? Like as, as narcissistic as that sounds, that's, uh, yeah. that's what it's like to be a teenager, let alone a comedian. And so, uh, it, it went well. We did about, exactly. yeah, we did about four more shows after that. And, uh, and basically they, uh, I, I, I said, this is amazing. And to me, uh, what I liked about it was I'd done sort of community theater, like young company stuff when I was a kid. But, uh, what always frustrated me about that 
was I wasn't an especially good actor, but I was always punctual. Like I, I was very reliable in that I would be off book usually by about the second week, I, I'd say, of, uh, of working on a play. And, and I wasn't like um, – and, and, and I wasn't so like anal retentive that I'd be mad that other people weren't off book. It's that going into a show, people would still be – you know, uh, still would not be off book and would still be kind of uh, uh, derailing scenes you know, uh, for, for like things that are an easy fix. So to me, I was just I, – I felt I could never really rely on other people to get across uh, – like a story or an idea. So stand-up was really refreshing because I said, yeah, it's like, uh, I think my friend uh, Matt summed it up really nicely. He said, it's like the least esoteric uh, medium out there because uh, it's just you. That's mm -hmm. all there is. Yeah. So did it give you a sense of being true to yourself? Was there any of that wrapped up in it? Oh, totally. Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, you have to or else, uh, you know, it's just, it's uh, what's the point of it? Yeah. Because I mean, comedy yeah, is it, like it's, it's an unorthodox um, mode of storytelling, but that's what it is. So like you're uh, you're just trying to uh, make things that happen to you concise, economical, and uh, and entertaining. Yeah, yeah, and allows you to, um, I guess, raise awareness and and break down barriers around myths and things like that that surround autism spectrum disorders oh sure that's why i called my book uh, funny you don't look autistic it came from a real instance where uh, i was talking yeah. to an old lady i can't remember the circumstance it was either uh it was either a friend's book signing or a family reunion it was one or the other and i said uh i just told her i have autism and she said no you don't you're doing great <laughs> so how did you respond to that i i, I don't know i just kind of left <laughs> i was just like all right i'm I don't really know how to bounce back from that other than say, like, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. So to me, um, what I try to do with my standup and, uh, and, and, uh, and in the book is just to uh, illustrate those differences and make evident that, like, I am not a poster child for the autism, uh, for the autism world, not at all. But I, uh, what I'm trying to say is that nobody is because there is such a vast spectrum, you know? Uh, yeah. Like it's a, what's the, uh, yeah. what's the ratio now? It's like one in 66 people, something like that. That would be absurd to claim that, yeah, this one, you know, version of it that you see, that's what it looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, just even genetics of the way people look. No two people look the same. It's the exact Even same. if they've got blonde hair and blue eyes. Yeah, they, they, they still look different. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I'll tell you what we'll do is I want to delve more into um, the comedy side and the kind of work you're doing around that. But we're just going to take a short break and then we'll be right back to carry on our chat. No worries. Are you ready for Halloween? Here at Chewy Gem, we've got 10% off all of our glow-in-the-dark products worldwide. From buttons to Chewy Pals, we've got something for everyone. Grab yours now. Back to the podcast. Okay, welcome back. So before the break, we were chatting about how Michael kind of got into a program which had led him down the route of becoming a comedian that's done an awful lot with it and, and does stand-up shows all over Canada and America. Um, do you now have this pressure, like when you talk to someone like me, do you put yourself under pressure to be funny or have you just naturally now, are you just always funny or 
you know what? I've always wondered that with a comedian. Does it put you under that kind of pressure? That's a really good question. I uh, I don't really think so. I think if you're comfortable with something uh, or I mean, if you're comfortable with someone and you're just enjoying their company, usually it just kind of comes out naturally. Uh, I mean, there are some shows uh, that you yeah. go on to. I mean, like, because I hear with this talk, I was just sort of anticipating that we just have a nice little, uh, uh, we, we just have a chat about, uh, about ASD. So to me, it's like, uh, yeah. you just know when you're, when it's called for and when it's not. Uh, the only time there's a pressure for it is when someone explicitly yeah. before a show says, hey, could you tell like a joke or something? And then you go, yeah, sure. And then you just try to find a way to work it into your pattern. But here, I think this is a more uh, relaxed environment where we're just not really telling jokes. We're just yeah, telling Yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was going to ask you, it, it was interesting that you said earlier that there's almost like a science behind comedy, which I hadn't appreciated before because you were saying that this guy that you worked with taught you how to structure things and you you mentioned that comedy should be economical and, you know, concise and all that kind of stuff. So is there, if there's someone out there who desperately wants to be funny and finds it really hard, is there one tip you could give them on how to rephrase something or structure something to make it funnier is is there a secret to it Absolutely. without I mean you did six weeks of, of of training on it so and I'm sure we could do like a whole series of podcasts on it but even just one tip that might help someone out there uh sure uh actually I could give them uh, a couple uh, really short ones uh like uh, when when people talk about it, like oh, you either have it or you don't. Uh, that's not entirely true. Most things can be learned. It's uh, it you know you just got to be willing to take a pie in the face a, a lot uh, until things start to stick. But uh, in the actual writing process, uh, ever uh, there's a there's a really good uh, HBO documentary on this uh, called uh, Talking Funny, where uh, briefly uh, Chris Rock uh, illustrates this point beautifully. He says. Uh, uh, there's a lot of comics who write really good jokes. The problem is that the audiences aren't laughing because they don't understand the premise. And what he means by that is a premise comes down to this simple equation. It is a topic plus a point of view. So even something as hacky as like, what's the deal with airline food? Ultimately, that that has uh, that has a point of view to it, which is basically like, uh, you, you've taken something that people recognize, which is airline food, and then you've shown your disdain for it. And so from there, yeah. then you start to construct jokes uh, and jokes are usually just quick hitters to uh, uh, to just go like, OK, so here's the premise. Here's the idea of airline food. And now here's reason one. It's bad. Here's reason two. It's bad. Here's reason three. It's bad. And uh, when you actually get into those uh, into those quick hitters after the fact, uh, the one thing that I learned very early on was uh, don't end a word. Sorry, every, the, the last word of a joke should be the joke you know what i mean like the the word that you're trying to sell people on is the funny thing like the uh uh the reveal i wish i had an example off the top of my head except uh uh as you i'm sure you're aware by the slight time difference i'm a little bit groggy right now um but uh the one yeah. thing actually i would recommend for uh anyone who's looking into uh joke writing is just getting into the discipline of uh creating top 10 lists for yourself ask yourself a question which ultimately comes down to a point of view which is reasons you hate blank or reasons you love blank and by the way uh just to say this uh yeah. it's really funny if you hate something uh or love something banal because the more extreme the response to something really uh really mundane or kind of pointless 
the stronger uh, you'll uh, the stronger your response probably will be. So basically, if you do I love banal, I hate uh, sorry I love banal thing, I hate banal thing, and then you time yourself to see yeah. how many uh, jokes you can write down in about a minute or two minutes. Uh, in response to that thing, that'll just get you in the discipline of not getting attached to anything, creating, uh, having a huge output, and then just throwing out what you don't like uh, without feeling remorse. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I do think that um, comedy and being funny is something that everyone puts on a bit of a pedestal, even in not even standing up and doing a show, but just interacting with people. You want to be funny because that implies that people like you and find you interesting. Oh, that's why um, most comics so become uh, just sorry. having a little toolbox. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's why uh, most comics become yeah uh, yeah become uh, become standards because they're. Uh, uh, I mean, I always kind of joked about when people said, I can't, they, they said that you got into this because you wanted to bring light to, uh, to uh, side of the autism spectrum. No one had seen it. I said, no, I got into this because I'm a malignant narcissist <laughs> who wants people to like me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, even without doing it as a stand up, I think everybody wants a bit of that, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and the route to getting that is being funny. Yeah, it's. Uh, which doesn't come naturally to everyone. No, it's, um, it, I, I, it was actually funny. I was just showing my mom the, uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it was the uh, Martin Scorsese movie, uh, the King of comedy last night. And, uh, she loved it. She really got a kick out of no, it. Uh, but, uh, but no, I think it's, uh, I, I think that in itself is required viewing just to sort of look at, uh, how ingrained that is in our uh, society, just the desire to be liked, uh, for, uh, not a lot of effort. Yeah, Absolutely. So and so you found this beneficial like you do you have another career or is this your full-time career? This is my full-time. Did full -time you graduate career. from high school and then just Yeah, That's I just so amazing. You must be better. Yeah. Really good. Um and you you mentioned you've got a girlfriend. So when did you meet her? I met her on tour. Uh I was 18. I was uh, just between uh, doing the show and uh, I had just done a show in Charlottetown and I was going to uh, Fredericton to clarify for, uh, sorry for the listeners. Uh, I was doing a cross Canada show from uh, Newfoundland in the East coast to uh, Vancouver in the West. So, and, and hitting every major city in between. So it was like St. John's there uh, in Vancouver and BC. But uh, uh, basically I'd stop. Uh, I just come from Charlottetown. I was in Fredericton, New Brunswick and uh I don't know. Just uh, she was volunteering at the event that night, helping out with the uh, with the uh, uh, with the organizers uh, who were a, a New Brunswick uh, autism chapter, and uh, we just hit it off after the show. We had a great chat. We were laughing about uh, uh, about some other stuff, and uh, and then we stayed in contact, and uh, we just continued to connect over again stupid things that made us laugh, and then uh, uh, eventually she decided, you know, what? I'm kind of fed up. Uh, with New Brunswick, I'm going to move to Ontario. And so uh, she did. And after a couple of years of uh, just being friends, she moved in with me and then I asked her out. And that's how it went. Oh, very good. What a sweet story. Um, and you mentioned that she got her diagnosis late. So was she diagnosed when you met her? Uh, yes. Yeah, no, she would have been. Okay. Okay, because I know that one of the um, videos that I've, I've watched of you, you talk a bit about relationships and, you know, we, we talk about loads of things in your videos like social awkwardness and relationships and things like that. And I just wondered, you know, if, if 
because Lorraine, who works with us, she is, what is she? God, I'm going to get her age wrong now and I don't want to insult her, but let's call her mid-30s. Um, and she's just got her diagnosis. Um, she's got two kids that are also on the spectrum. Um, and so her husband's gone from being married to someone who she thought he thought was neurotypical to now having a household of... Um, you know, people on the spectrum. So I just think it's an interesting shift if you're, you know, someone that goes through that. Um, not that it changes anything because it's still the same person. It's no, just actually, the, it's interesting you bring that up thing. because it doesn't really change things. It just changes, uh, you know, sort of your perceptions of the other people where you go, oh, that clarifies some behaviors. Or, or just, yes. oh, okay, now, now, now I sort of see where you're at. In fact, I think it makes people more sympathetic yeah. to each other. Absolutely, yeah. And so for you, do you draw most of your material on your experience of living in a neurotypical world? Yeah. And, I, and that kind of... I'd probably say so. I uh, a, a lot of my material uh, really just came from uh, uh, growing up in a family during a time of really radical change. Like uh, there was sort of a boom in the late 90s, early uh, 2000s of... Uh, of, uh, of like die uh, of autism uh, diagnoses where I just uh, suddenly like it, it, and it wasn't like and I don't mean to make it sound like it was a bad or anything it was a good thing like suddenly all these people that didn't have access to resources yeah. uh, that needed it were suddenly getting it and a lot of young and more importantly a lot of young people very early on were getting it and and also just as important to that like uh, people who had gone their entire life sort of wondering like why why do I feel like an outsider uh, what are these things that I feel that I can't make sense of uh, now they suddenly had an answer. And, uh, the one thing to clarify is that when people get a diagnosis, it's not like, okay, this is you all encompassing and you were all the same. As I said earlier, it's more like I equate it to, you have a map and you throw a dart at it. And what, and when that dart, let's say hypothetically it lands in North America or in Europe, it doesn't mean you are North America or Europe. It means you are inside it somewhere, uh, like just ballparking it. So, yeah. uh, so to me, what I always kind of joked about, uh, or what I like to joke about was just growing up at a time where uh, autism, to me, at least uh, sort of how I've kind of characterized it for uh, my take on it and, uh, and a couple of my friends, is usually like just uh, is that you have uh, the exter how it manifests externally, which is like uh, – so it's like you know you have sort of like your sensory input uh, is, 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 uh, is like kind of messed up. And that varies from person to person. It can be tactile senses. It can be, uh, you know, sound, taste, whatever. Uh, but then internally for me is that uh, you experience something like uh, say like a piece of pop culture, like a book or a song or whatever. And you just go, that's great. I could probably read that or listen to it forever now. And from there uh, like that, yeah. it like it becomes kind of a part of you. So just like something sticks early on and then you kind of fall in love with it. So uh, to me, what I always kind of joked about was just how at the turn of the 21st century, a lot of people with ASD were just all fixated on like the same sort of like couple of things because that's what was yeah. there at the time. So like you have like the Star Wars Lego, you have like uh, the SpongeBob cartoon. Like to me, I just always thought that that was really interesting that you just had a large group of people simultaneously like becoming obsessed with the exact same thing and then growing up sort of wondering why. So that's always been entertaining to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so <clears throat> one of the things I ask everybody is, and I'm sure this has been material in your shows as well, is what do you wish neurotypicals knew about being on the, the, the 
spectrum? And I know that's probably a big question, but just give me like one or two things. That's a really good. No, it's it's a great question, and uh, and uh, luckily you sent me question uh, the uh, the uh, Q and A ahead of time. Uh, I'd probably say yeah uh, yeah I, I'd probably say uh, the thing that people uh, sort of assume is that because someone isn't emoting or or you know being being kind of over the top or like yes yes I hear what you're saying. They assume they're disengaged or they're or they're not liking what's going on. Uh, what I wish that a lot of uh, a lot of folks knew is uh, is that uh, when you have ASD, uh, you do not only emotionally engage with someone when it's uh, filtered through your niche. Like you still have the capacity to feel, to like, uh, like to, to sorry to. Uh, to feel emotion, to enjoy being around other people, to enjoy company, like regardless of how introverted or even ambiverted you may be, uh, like everyone likes company once in a while. I'm personally extroverted, so I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I uh, that that's sort of where my uh, 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 knowledge of introversion like cuts off right there. The fact that I prefer the opposite, being around people. I mean, yeah. but I, uh, but what I would say is that I. I, uh, I just wish that they know that it's like, hey, uh, if, if like they're not – if someone isn't obviously emoting or isn't uh, giving you the kind of feedback that you necessarily want, if they're not like loudly articulating, oh, that's a good one, John, uh, they, still, they still like you. They're, they still enjoy being in your company and they're still registering what you're, uh, what you're saying. And uh, what I'd recommend is just checking in with people just uh, – and not in an annoying way of like, did you like that? Did you like that? But just anything can be fixed if you tell someone. I mean when I was a kid – uh, the thing that I'd always get frustrated by uh, with myself and also with other people is that when I'd go on a bit rambling about my interests, people would usually just kind of leave mid-sentence because they're like, okay, this is – he doesn't really care about me. He's just talking to hear himself talk. And I think be that as it may, yeah. uh, a more uh, – like a better way to go about it would be to uh, uh, like just kind of go, hey, I really can't talk about this right now. Could we talk about something else? Or B, uh, can I take a break from this conversation? I need to – cool down for a moment and then you go yeah sure and so like you check in with each other like that once in a while and then you stay friends yeah that's a really good tip yeah absolutely that makes a lot of sense and I, I think it's almost like the politeness that is society that the rules of society prevent us from doing that in some ways but if you do it in a nice way just as you've explained it actually helps both parties oh yeah it's just having that honesty yeah Makes sense. And what about what about a hero in the sensory world? Yeah, Anyone this, that you kind of look up to and think, yeah, you're doing good stuff. Yeah, this is um, uh, and this is where it's kind of difficult because to me, it's like I, uh, I like I, I, I'm such an ignoramus when it comes to a lot uh, about my community. Like, I really need to do more extensive, uh, you know, uh, research on just uh, uh, on on other people doing what I'm doing. But I will say that like. Uh, I have a lot of admiration for other comics doing what I'm doing. And I'm saying comics like, uh, yeah. like Adam Schwartz or like the Asperger's or us guys, like just people that are uh, trying to put out something that's atypical from what people know of, uh, of ASD. And I, I haven't collaborated with all of these guys, but I'm aware of their work. And to me, I go, that's, uh, that's awesome that you're doing what you're doing. And uh, hopefully uh, there will be uh uh, like there'll, there'll be, uh, like a greater platform for, uh, for comics and, uh, sketch comics and improvisers and musical comics, et cetera, on the spectrum. And, uh, in no time I'll be out of a job. <laughs> I doubt that. Cause I was going to say, I would imagine that you're already, um, 
a hero for a lot of people doing what you're doing. Um, and it's it's really what's lovely to see, and I see more and more of it now, is lots of people with ASD on, on doing different things in the public eye that just make everybody else think, yay, <laughs> you know what I mean? We're starting to see that spread and be represented. It's great. Um, really good. <clears throat> um, okay, and my last question that I ask everybody is, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? <laughs> I, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I'd probably be like an okapi because people would notice me. A what? I you should look this up. It looks it looks weird. It's a it's a hybrid of a giraffe and a zebra. It's called an okapi. I've never heard of that. It's insane. I will it's, look that up. Okay. Yeah, yeah, look it up right now. It's one of the strangest things ever. <laughs> okay, because yeah, you like to stand out and be noticed, I guess, and that's certainly one I have never heard of. Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> That's really cool. I just love how God is <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, like, I was expecting like dog or cat or horse or monkey or, but yeah, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> um, fab. Okay. Well, that's brilliant. I mean, it's the, before we finish up, I just want to let people know again that you can go to aspiecomic.com. If you go on YouTube, you can see your TED talk. I think you just Google Michael McGreary and you'll find it. We'll have, um, you know, the correct spellings of your name next to the podcast so people can find all that kind of stuff. Awesome. Um, and also your book, like not touched on your book, really. Uh, I, I'd like to know more about it, like what inspired you to write it and what can people expect from it? Sure. Give me a quick synopsis of that. Absolutely. I uh, I got into contact with, uh, sorry, Anik Press, uh, the people that published the uh, Robert Munch books, like uh, – uh, like mud puddle and uh, and I have to go pee and stuff like that. They got into contact with me and said, uh, "Hey, uh, uh, we like what you're doing, and uh, we want to know if you could write sort of like a kids' book." So originally it was going to be something more in the vein of like Mad Magazine with all these different graphics and cartoons that were going to accompany little stories. Uh, but then uh, they found that like the uh, the uh, the autobiographical tidbits were hitting stronger than the uh than like the little graphics and sidebars and stuff so they asked me if i could just uh write a loose memoir uh which seemed kind of premature because when they asked me i think i was 21 at the time uh, but but i said yes and so i did mm. and that's pretty much it so well i i take the viewer uh sorry i take the reader uh through my life up till now basically and uh and with that as a framework address different uh sorry address a myriad of subjects about uh life on the spectrum Brilliant. Yeah. So um, where can people get that from? Uh, yeah, they can get it on Amazon. If they want to buy it. Most bookstores uh, in the UK. I don't know uh, if you guys have like chapters or Indigo or anything, but uh, uh, you could probably find like online. It's Amazon, but okay. in Berkeley, yeah. you could probably well, find it in most bookstores. Brilliant. Okay. So that's a good place to start. Excellent. Um, so anything that you want to kind of send out as a message before we finish? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm just going to say uh, that. A lot of people uh, on the spectrum, uh, when uh, people kind of talk to them about their special interests, they kind of go, okay, well, let's, let's get real. That's your hobby. That's the thing that you really like to do, but don't do that for a living because it'll suck the joy out of it. And I disagree. I think that people yeah. are more inclined to do good work, uh, like are inclined to do good things for themselves and for their community if like, you know, they're passionate about it and they already like it. So regardless if you want to be in entertainment or if you want to be in like, uh, uh, I don't know, like uh, – 
like a, a firefighter or whatnot, like whatever your whatever your special interest is, uh, do it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. I think I think regardless of um, ASD or not, that would be my message to everyone too, um, because you know you've got to you work so much of your life, make it something that you enjoy. Oh yeah, makes sense. Well. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to chat to us. Um, really, really appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure. I think you've got a great story. And yeah, and if I'm ever over that way, I will definitely come see one of your shows. I'd love to see it. Oh, wonderful. We'd love to host you. Uh, you have a great day now. Thanks. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week. And thank you once again for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you've got time and you can spare 30 seconds, then go and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps other people find our content. And we know that our content and our episodes are so helpful to our community with lots of hints and tips and interesting interviews. So go and do your kind deed of the day and leave us a five-star review on iTunes to help others find us. Also, so that you never miss an episode and you get a notification when a new one is available why not hit subscribe and that way you'll never miss us finally if you're not already a member of our fantastic facebook support group i suggest you go join it we'd love to see you in there there's loads of fantastic chat lots of peer-to-peer -peer support from people in the same boat as you so go and search on facebook for the chewy gem sensory support group and let us know what you're thinking of our episodes speak to you then bye